Right, hi guys. Can you believe it? I have successfully completed a whole series of podcast episodes. I know that that may not seem amazing, but me committing to anything for a long time is impressive. Yeah, okay, it hasn't been easy. There have been loads of technical issues. We went into lockdown halfway through. I didn't know how to use a lot of the equipment. I bought a new setup halfway. Yeah, there's been loads of things that have happened, but I've absolutely loved doing it. And I am 100% committed to putting a series two together. And actually the wheels are already in motion for that. I've got loads of beautiful guests lined up and we're going to be talking about all the things that we didn't quite get round to on series one. We've spoken a lot about ADHD and mental health and sexuality on series one, all things that are really important. In series two, I want to tackle uh, some slightly different topics. All of them are linked to mental health in some way, but some of them are going to be a lot of fun and some of them are going to be extremely difficult to talk about. And I've got some really exciting people coming on including a lot of people you will already know and may have seen on your screens yeah so series one of ain't broke don't fix me the podcast is coming to a close but not before you listen to this episode i had a wonderful chat just now with the wonderful and oh i've said wonderful so many times but he is wonderful i had a great chat with ren steadman and I've known Ren for a while and kind of admired his work from afar. And we talk about his experiences as a trans man, how that has affected and impacted him as an artist and a singer. We speak about what it's like to grow up and, and live in Essex and, and the scene in, in Southend, the music, and what it's like to just struggle day to day growing up knowing that you are the outsider feeling that you don't quite fit in being the square peg to the round hole and a lot of what Ren said resonated with me but the trans experience is a very particular one and there certainly isn't enough education in schools there certainly isn't enough resources for trans people growing up and in adulthood and we discuss all of that in this episode thank you so much Ren for coming on and he gives details of all of the ways that you can listen to his music and discover his art because he's a fantastic artist as well and we're going to play one of his songs at the end that's called Bugs which I'm in love with. And I actually asked him if we could put that at the end of the episode because it felt very fitting. So for the last time on this series, thank you very, very much for listening to Ain't Broke, Don't Fix Me, the podcast with me, MEP. And this is episode 10. Play that track! Hi everybody and welcome to episode 10 
of Ain't Broke Don't Fix Me, the podcast. And today I've got with me Ren. Say hi, Ren. I'm hi. telling you to say hi. Uh, yeah, I've been wanting to get Ren on the podcast for a while because we've delved into sort of some topics based around gender and sexuality and things like that, but we haven't fully explored the trans experience. I think it's really important that we shed some light on it. And uh, the podcast has always been about mental health in some capacity and the statistic that 41% of trans people have attempted to take their own life. I wanted to sort of know what that experience was like for you. So I want to start way back when, when you were a young child. How was that as a young trans boy? I was listening to your album in the week, actually, while I was putting these questions together and your track bugs, and we're going to put that at the end of the episode you're really sort of bearing your soul and you share that school was a pretty testing time for you. Is that a fair? Yeah, I think well, school is pretty rubbish for, for most people or most people I've spoken to anyway. Yeah. Um, but for, for a trans person, going back to primary school mm. was very, very different experience than it was from secondary school. Yeah. I found that kids under the age of 10 or 11 tend to be a lot more forgiving. Forgiving is the wrong word, but accepting. Accepting of, totally. of people's differences and... Um, and so primary school was 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 pretty good. Uh, I was I was one of the boys, yeah. and it wasn't really until secondary school that you know when when puberty happens and all that kind of stuff, um, people people are horrible. Mm. People are really horrible, and there's that kind of feeling that you need to conform to be able to fit in. There's less of that in primary school, from what I found. You can. Yeah be as bizarre as you want to be and and it's almost encouraged i think as well like i sort of have worked and still do work in schools in some capacity and with children and i think a lot of it as well is when you're young you're kind of guided through that experience of school of having teachers there and telling you what's right and wrong and 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 to be more accepting and, and you don't really care you take things at face value you're a child you're having fun and as soon as you know especially for you as a trans person going into secondary school you haven't got that comfort blanket of, no, not of you're just thrown into the deep end of of people who actually aren't as caring and don't give a shit and are a bit more callous with the things they say. Another big difference in terms of the mentality behind secondary school school teachers as well is the competitive nature of yeah. what a secondary school is as well. And, and kind of in order to achieve in the competition, there is this, this mindset of, of conforming, you know, fitting, get, in, get on with your work, don't stand out too much. Yeah. You've got your GCSEs <laughs> to think about. Yeah. And that's what I found a lot. And I did spend a lot of time in secondary school conforming to this uh, image of, of being female, which was wildly uncomfortable. Yeah. But something that also became a, a normal thing to me, you know, and that, that's what started to make my head spin out a little bit um, with various mental health kind of things um feeling like i had to fit in uh but the more that i tried to fit in the more i felt like i stuck out like an absolute sore thumb yeah which sucks in terms of like coming out how old were you when you made the decision to sort of come out to the people around you because that can't have been easy especially if you've spent all of that time was there was it like a process was it was there ever a moment because because i know for a lot of my trans friends who I've spoken to, they went through like the experience of first of all, um, they came out as gay or something, yeah. and then and then it was a slow process of moving into actually this isn't my sexuality that's the issue. Yeah, yeah being like, well actually it's the complete opposite. Yeah. Like, I'm not a lesbian. Um, yeah, there was there was a lot of that. I mean, in primary school, I was pretty open about 
you know, when I grow up, I'm going to get Willie. Yeah. And going around to skate park and telling all of the older kids that I was a boy named Tony. Oh, really? And, uh, <laughs> when secondary school hits and you, you, that, that's not accepted by your peers or mm. really even by teachers. It is really squashed down by teachers as yeah. well, going, that's a bit weird, why would you say that? Um, th- so there was a process of, uh, during secondary school, not really saying too much about my sexuality or my gender, just, uh, although for some reason I was uh, I was given lots of horrible slur names that are used for lesbians, despite having never said anything like that. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, I left school when I was 14 and um, ended up uh, in a mental health unit up until about the age of 17 or 18. And so I was in a diff- diff- completely different school environment at that point where those kind of conversations weren't the ones that they wanted to talk about either. It was it was more about your mental health, but but uh, not kind of taking into account that maybe What's your mental, that? Yeah. <laughs> some of your mental health problems <laughs> might be caused by the fact that your head's spinning out a little bit because you don't really know what you're meant to do or say about how you feel, who you think you are. And, and I think like there must have been, I'm guessing, a long period of time where what you said there was where you battled with your feelings. And I know as, you know, as a gay woman, whilst that, that experience is completely different from yours in many ways, there are a lot of people that said to me, wow, 15, that's a really young age to come out. <laughs> well, yeah, but no, because that struggle with, of feeling different and that having that that heavy feeling in my chest and knowing I was gay was very present in my life for as long as I can remember. Mm. So was that the same for you in in the fact that, well, this may be new for you, but I've always known this about me. Yeah, (laughs) and I think that's where some of the shock factor comes for friends and family as well, is that the conversations you've been having in in your head or maybe with a a tight-knit group of people, the conversations you've been having a lot longer and then you would have been with your family members or people that you're afraid of what their opinion is going to be about or whether they're going to accept it. So when I when I came out as trans, officially came out as trans, even yeah. though I've been kind of alluding to it for quite a long time, it, it was received as an absolute bombshell. Yeah. In my head I was thinking, this this isn't a new thing. I was going to say, were you, were you scared to tell your family and friends? Did you feel like they already knew? Like, how was that received when you... How was that for you? Was there a, a moment where you sat them down and said, look, this is how I'm feeling, this is me? It was it was a build-up of a lot of things. But yeah. the problem that I had is that I, there was quite a lot of bombshells that had been dropped prior to that. So it almost... The, the fear of dropping another bombshell, regardless of what it was going to be, was more fearful than, than what I was actually yeah. going to say. And um, so, yeah, it was a build-up of, of, of coming out. Um, I came out to lots of my friends before I did my family. Yeah. Um, although my parents probably did know, we we don't really have too many conversations about the build up towards it. More that you know, I'm just really grateful that they are very accepting. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it was more the another bombshell that oh god, what what is it going to be this time? Yeah, because uh, before it was you know things with mental health, it was always oh Ren's done this, Ren's done that, Ren's in hospital again, Ren's out of hospital, but is still proceeding to behave so bizarrely that yeah. it's. It's really not a tolerant experience. It's crazy because I think there was, you know, I took that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because even in up until now, really, in my adult life, we speak so much about mental health. And actually, there was so many things that were happening in my life recently where I was really angry and frustrated and acting out and emotional and depressed. And I think so much of that came from 
those formative years of being 13, 14, 15 and struggling with my sexuality and feeling like the outsider, that, that never really left me. Mm. And I'm, I'm quite similar in the sense that whenever I do have a dip of my mental health, I almost revert back to being a, a 13, 14 year old with yeah. the behaviours that I, you know, perform <laughs> and, yeah. the, and the, way, the way that I hold myself, the way that I talk. I, I do, yeah, I've become a 13, 14 year old again where I literally just close off. Uh, it, it makes my family more nervous. So why can't you talk about it? Like, well, yeah. I don't think I was very good at talking about it when I when in, when at the peak of a mental health crisis. This is what I did, and it it's kind of almost like I've conditioned myself to yeah. this is how I behave now when things are bad. I was going to say, how old were you when you started physically transitioning? Because no doubt the transition in itself is going to affect you hormonally and physically and there's oh, a lot yeah, of changes. Oh yeah, I was an absolute nightmare. When <laughs> was going through say. puberty again was, yeah, was horrible Jesus. for me and for my parents. It was pretty rubbish. But I wouldn't wish that on anyone. <laughs> no, I was. I was just a proper asshole. Yeah. And um, I remember uh, one of the worst points, it was about, I'd been, so I started taking testosterone when I was about 19, 20. Yeah. Um, and so really you've only just got out of, of that, pretty of, that much, yeah. of, of puberty and discovering you know how you feel and then oh we're gonna go through all of that again here we <laughs> go <laughs> round two yeah I was in Ikea with my mum yeah. and we're buying a new wardrobe and I threw a massive hissy fit I don't want a wardrobe why are you trying to get me to have a wardrobe I'll just put my clothes on the floor if I want to literally was almost kicking my arms and legs in the middle of Ikea yeah um, my mum turned around to me and said is this because of the hormones no it's not because of the hormones why do I think everything's to do with being trans <laughs> yeah. oh no oh yes it is actually yeah. yeah I do seem to be a teenager again don't yeah. I and it's quite embarrassing because we're in the middle of Ikea <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't great. No, and that long period of, of, of adjustment as well, like we spoke about the physical parts, like growing facial hair, becoming the man that you always knew you were, must have felt, you know, euphoric at times, but do you ever remember a significant moment of looking at yourself in the mirror maybe and finally seeing what you wanted to see or what you always saw? It probably wasn't until about maybe 18 months ago because mm. testosterone isn't the kind of thing that just you know, snaps I'm overnight um, so I've been on hormones for five years now and it was probably about a year and a half ago that I did have a moment where I looked in the mirror and went oh oh okay then this is what I look like now and it, it did it did have that clicking moment of feeling like it fitted perfectly yeah. but the the gradual changes that you have on testosterone meant that it's not it's not an easy ride when you start testosterone in terms of physical changes as well because there's just because you're on hormones it doesn't mean that everybody in the universe automatically sees you as male or female or yeah. non-binary or however you're presenting or, or however you identify as well that there were moments where I would uh, go into the men's toilets mm. and they, they, they would say why are you in here yeah well, and I'd forget that oh just because I've stopped taking hormones that doesn't make my voice no, is a bit different yeah. but I still look fairly androgynous and there was periods of time when I was still using the women's toilets as well for the same reason of thinking where do I fit in now until yeah. I look how and I And I feel. suppose were you using the women's toilets in a way because you thought well maybe that will I'll get less questioning there yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah and there was a, I was on a, a works night out with, with some colleagues and I was using the women's toilets and this was the moment when I went 
oh okay no people are seeing me how i how i feel as right. well when i was walking out of the women's toilets and two people walking in and i heard them under their breath go surely that's not a woman and my friend was really really shocked by it going like what do you want me to go and have a word with them yeah. I, oh no that's actually really nice maybe i yeah, I'll go and use the men's toilets now. But <laughs> Do you know what? Look, I think I will. Yeah, it does look like I'm doing a bit of toilet pick a mix in the pub, but, you know, maybe I should now. And then we went somewhere afterwards and I used the men's toilets and proceeded to walk in there and they went, why are you in here? I went, oh, oh hang on a minute, this doesn't make sense. So it was difficult, but it, it, it does get better. But, you know, there are still times when I walk into a men's toilets and think, do people know? Do mm. people know that I'm trans? Am I meant to be in here? Because there is a stigma around it of, you know... Yeah, what and, and yeah, there are. And talking about the stigma, we've spoken about how it has affected your mental health. And and at the beginning, mentioning some of those statistics, it must feel incredibly isolating at times. And just hearing how that's affected you over the years, do you? I know the answer already, but do you think there are enough resources oh, and no. support for? trans no. people I, do, I don't think there are enough um especially young trans people as well like no, well no I, d I don't think there is but there's a there's a, a big old argument at the moment about yeah. uh, resources for young trans people anyway mm -hmm. i saw something on twitter yesterday somebody saying that trans children don't exist and yeah. I, I you know i retweeted it and said what i said earlier on about going into school age six telling all of my friends and getting a willy when i grow up and thinking yeah. well if you know how else do you explain it if, if the if the i don't want to call it a cure you know hormone therapy um but if being allowed to transition and being allowed to kind of make your body align with how you feel and how you identify is going to be the thing that stops you from killing yourself yeah then i really do struggle to find I the mean, argument yeah. against it's it it's mad and you know we've seen you know like i said i've working in a school and, and with children in some capacity and i've seen how there's the new thing that's been put through that only recently like literally this year has it become it, it mandatory that we have to talk about lgbt plus things within the pshe within mm. the school and it's not parents can't say oh no i don't want my child to learn about that mm. now that's not an option but it still causes issues. It's still, yeah, there's I a lot of imagine. people who are like, I don't want my child knowing about that. Well, what if your child is trans? Yeah. You know, maybe they do need to learn about that because what the fuck are they going to do when they turn around in five years and have no clue how to express themselves or. Yeah, there's, li there's a limited amount of language that's provided for kids that, yeah. that do, that are questioning their gender or their sexuality. There's, I mean, when I was in school, I didn't even know what trans person was. When I was in school, I think people were still using the term transsexual. Yeah, um, definitely. Or, or just or slurs. And there was, there was no opportunity to be given any kind of language to say, this is how I'm feeling, or this is something that I've heard about. This, this is something that my friend is feeling. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing. I mean, I'm, it's great that there is now, but I can imagine there will be ripples within... You know the community of parents and yeah, whatnot definitely. saying that they don't want their kids to learn about this it's putting words in people's mouths but i think that's why it's even more important that there is definitely a, a wider range of language to to know that it's not being exactly and it's also it's also we spoke about this in the in the last podcast episode i was talking to the poet jenny folds about sexuality and she was saying you know not just sexuality even talking about mental health things 
it's normalizing something that is already should be normalized like mm. why are we always the other yeah. and that's the problem and until we start talking about it like it's normal like it is normal and changing that narrative unfortunately it's the parents who are breathing a new generation of you know this is taboo yeah. and the parents who are stopping their children getting that education that they need are actually the ones creating a generation of people who can't talk about how they feel even without anything to do with gender or sexuality yeah. it is so many things are a taboo subject mental health things as well yeah. that loads of different topics there's no language given to to kids or adults as well I mean, I've had yeah. some conversations with adults where they don't have the words to use or express how they're feeling, and then they get completely stuck in their own head, and mm. then oh, it all goes, <laughs> goes a bit yeah. wrong, doesn't it? And do you think that's kind of the mental health side of things, or even your experience as a trans man has navigated how you express yourself artistically too? Because you're a creative man in many ways. Music, art, you've designed some wonderful prints and t- actually I've, oh, I should have worn your t-shirt today actually that would no have been quite fitting seen it, no that's <laughs> true I could have taken a selfie and attached it but um, yeah I've got one of Ren's t-shirts he, he's a fantastic artist and we're going to play one of your songs at the end of this do you think your life experiences have really inspired your art and music they have but uh, that uh, the phrase that you said about you know the being and the others has made me seek different communities to feel accepted yes uh, so finding music and finding the grassroots festival scene uh, has been a massive inspiration in how i create art where i put it <laughs> yeah and just finding people that maybe are on the outskirts of what society would you know deem as normal yeah is actually a lot more fun <laughs> yeah um but it'd be nice if it would, if it would be a bit more integrated but um yeah, so, so to do with songs, most of my songs, I don't know if I would have chosen uh, an artistic career if it hadn't have been for all of the rubbish that, yeah. that led up to it. I don't know what I would sing about. I mean, lots of my songs are to do with mental health and to do with LGBT. It's really topics. hard, like, you know, the, the right lyrics and stuff. It's really hard to write, a, you know, just a happy song. Well, I wrote a happy song and then I realised the last verse that I wrote was about how difficult it was to write a happy song and then I thought <laughs> this, how do people in the mainstream media do happy songs and yeah. even then I l- listen to that and I don't know that many mainstream songs are actually happy no. either lyrically they're quite dark just over a, a really sort of happy dance beat <laughs> yeah and I, the other day I was thinking quite a bit about the term tortured artist and how usually right. it's you know people that never quite make it or yeah. or people that really suffer for their art and I just think <laughs> Surely all of the people in mainstream media must also consider themselves a tortured yes, artist in a sense course. that, you know, I put my, my blood into this song. Yeah. Probably you did because everything that you're singing about probably is quite hurtful in your head. It's, Definitely. It's all a, a sliding scale, isn't it? <laughs> it is. In fact, let's talk about your music. So your music at times, you know, can be very open and honest and raw. That's not always easy to do. Has music always played like that therapeutic role? Because or drawing for that matter has that been your when you've been in moments of of feeling isolated and alone has that been your escape your massively I remember um, being in hospital and I mean you weren't allowed phones in there you weren't allowed any contact with the outside world really unless you said to one of the nurses can ring the mum and um, 
I was allowed my guitar in there and I would just spend hours on my guitar. I pretty much taught myself to play guitar whilst I was in hospital. Yeah. Um, when I had moments of not, you know, of actually being connected with reality. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, cre- I tried to create uh, an outlet for... I, I mean, I was physically trapped. I was not allowed to leave, but it also felt like I was trapped in my head quite a lot of the time because the conversations that you're having with nurses mm. or with, with other with other patients in the hospital, they're always recorded, they're always written down on your notes, there's very little opportunity to express yourself in any way that isn't being recorded. So I would write all my songs down, and that was often more therapeutic for me than half of the things that would happen in a mental health unit. Yeah. What did you, where did you turn for your inspiration growing up in terms of artists were there there any particular artists that influenced your work or still do um i mainly listened to lots of you know the stereotypical pop punk bands yeah i was a green day kind of person Mm -hmm. uh but listened to to lots of frank turner which is still quite a big inspiration in terms of what i write now it's very folky punky kind of stuff um but i think i kind of i got into the acoustic-y side of stuff by listening to a band called Never Shout Never who I was listening to okay. the other day and it brought back all of the nostalgia feely feels yeah so today I was drawing so I was doing a commission for somebody and been listening to Never Shout Never in my earphones and thinking this is a bit weird <laughs> I do that sometimes like I'll have um in my car I'll just have my phone on shuffle and, and much like you I'm very much of the I loved pop punk growing up still do but I was you know really into some dare I say it, called emo bands. You oh, know, I was, I really was all in, about the emo bands. So into that. And then sometimes I'll just be driving in my car and some something like, I don't know, like Dashboard Confessional will come up or or Red Jumpsuit mm. Apparatus or something like that. And I think, wow, to be that age again. And I was so into Blink as well. And, you know, we're listening back to those albums and, and it really does take you back to how you felt at that time as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I've been on, on Twitter and Instagram recently, I've been doing a, a little series called Emo Folk where I've been listening to lots of the old emo classics. Yeah. Uh, decided nobody needs to hear Welcome to the Black Parade on the banjo. <laughs> but here we go, folks. So I've been doing that quite a lot recently. A bit of My Chemical Romance, Paramore on the old banjo. Got a Paramore poster I know, in I here, saw that actually. I yeah. That's good. But yeah, so I've been, do- I've been listening to all the emo stuff recently, and I don't... I think part of it, it's been really horrible weather lately and I felt really glum. Yeah. And I did do that thing of reverting back to a 14-year-old who went, what am I going to listen to today? Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to Ohio is for Lovers by <laughs> all the Oh, now I feel depressed. <laughs> we, yeah, so we both share that in common in the fact that we you know, both like the same music. We're both creatives coming from the same place, both from Essex, both spend a lot of time in South End as mm. well. And there's a lot of really talented people in the area doing amazing things. And what do you make of live music and creative outlets in Essex? Does it match up to the other places you've played around the country? I find uh, it really difficult. Yeah. I find it so difficult because there's so much happening in Essex. Yeah. There's five open mic nights on every Mm. single... Well, not at the moment, obviously. But five open mic nights on every night. There's... In Southend, you've got something at the railway. Yeah. You've got something at Chinneries. You've got something at Saks. So <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit like, oh, I kind of want to go to all of them, but I now seem to just be sitting there drinking my lager because I've overthought it. Yeah, and yeah. And now I've drank eight pints and I have to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. 
But I, I, lo- I love the, the Essex music scene. I mean, the yeah, South End so. music scene is one of the reasons why I moved to South End. Yeah. Because there was so much happening that I thought, I, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, and do you know what? Like, the amount of, you know, my friends and, and people I know who, as a night out, wouldn't even consider going to South End. Because I think, in some ways, it's just a bit overlooked. Hmm. But the amount of times me and my other half will just have nothing else to do. We're like, let's just get on a train. There'll be someone playing in South End. And you can guarantee and we, there's usually about eight people playing. <laughs> exactly. And there's we always, it's the start off, you know, either in Chinneries, and then we'll always make our way up to the railway. And we always have the best... Definitely the messiest as well, but we always have the best nights when we're there. What's your... Have you got any particular favourite sort of artists in the Essex area? Um, I will always make time to go and watch T-Bitch. Yeah, oh, I've seen they T-Bitch. They are They're just great. one of the best bands. And I think it's so good to have a, a local band that is inclusive. And yeah. it's also... I mean, they're just fun to watch, but they're also spreading a, a very punk message. And they're just, they're just really entertaining to watch. You'll find it a rare occasion to go to any venue in... Or anywhere and find the lead singer being brought in in a coffin and i think that that's that's going to make you want to go and watch it what yeah. we watching today oh stevie from t-bitch is just fallen out of the coffin but is still singing yeah i want to watch that yeah definitely yeah and i i, I love i love t-bitch i love uh a band i i mean they most people probably know them especially if they're in a six but the amount of times i've gone to see uh, youth club as well at, at uh, chinneries yeah. as well they're a great live band but I think the Railway, Chinneries, Saks, all of them provide such good... Peggy Sue's as well. There's a tiny venue. It's but tiny. I mean, you can fit 10 people yeah. in there and, and go, well, this but is that, full. You know, the amount of spoken word nights as well that I've been to in London that are... They really struggle. You know, they'll, they'll have a great night and there'll be loads of really talented people there. But sometimes certain venues lack that that intimacy and that community spirit and i think that's the the thing that is in every south end venue I oh think. definitely yeah uh yeah so I, I always try and end on something positive because you know when we talk about our mental health our life struggles neurodiversity or any of the experiences that you've shared today it's always nice to kind of shed some light on the positive sides of it because it's you know a process and a journey and it took me a really long time to sort of feel loved and accepted as a gay woman what do you love about being part of the lgbt plus community now or even so just being you have you found that acceptance within yourself and and have you met wonderful people along the way yeah i definitely found acceptance in in myself yeah um which has been spurred on more more by the people that i'm around particularly the LGBT yeah. community. Um, there's a really, really good uh, LGBT community in South End. Yeah. And I've been absolutely gutted that for the last South End Pride, I think oh, they've done two no. or three, every single time I've been on tour somewhere. Oh, really? I've just been staring at my phone watching everyone have a really nice time. Whilst I'm yeah, I did the, uh, I did dive the South in End Pride or something. last year. And I went to, yeah, I did the poetry event and then I went to a couple of the events. And then I worked at the Youth Pride as well, which was fantastic. And yeah, they're the great people running it as well. Uh, but yeah, there's just some amazing people out there. So I'll, before we go, I want to know where can people find your work, your music, your art? Like, go plug yourself like mad. All of the plug-in. Yeah, it's pretty. Everything is just Ren Stedman Art. That's that's on Easy the Twitter, enough. the Facebook, the Instagram. 
the YouTube, which sometimes I don't do because I forget that I've got a YouTube I'm channel. I'm like that with Twitter. I'm awful at Twitter. I just I forget it even exists. And then I'm constantly like banging something. on on Twitter. It's ridiculous. I, I looked at my tweet count the other day and I was quite shocked. Really? I mean, the majority of things that I tweet about on there are hash browns related. Oh my so God, I love hash browns. I've got a little bit of a nice collective of people on Twitter now that are part of the hash brown club. Right, I need to follow you on Twitter because I'm not joking. I love or hash browns. Or it's generally like poo updates. Yeah. I like to let people know where I'm at on the Bristol stool chart that great, day. Great. You know, give the people what they want. So, you know, even if you don't want to follow Ram for his music and his art, there's always the Hash Brown Club. and For the scientific aspect of, of <laughs> fecal matter. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, Ren. It's Cheers been a good fact to have this conversation. And I love admiring what you do from afar. I think this chat is going to educate people and be a sense of comfort as well for a lot of people in the community. So thank you, mate. I appreciate thank that. Thank you. told my friends I was a girl that would grow into a boy It didn't make a difference to them Cause I like skateboards and crushing bugs beneath my feet And who I was was who I wanted them to see When I attended secondary Despite disguising normally I didn't tick the boxes for the race to popularity Vultures prayed, yet teachers praised the calendar to count down days and hours just to get on through the week. And while the kids at school continued to destroy me like the bugs I used to crush beneath my feet. Into stone and concrete Spending life alone I retreated to a cave Made up of thoughts Where I could think on my own Of ways to kill myself And waiting on psychologists to help The jargon thrown at me Made less sense than the thoughts Inside my brain Could often scare the living daylights out of me And though I knew myself And trusted what I said I started arguing Against all of my principles and all that I believe While my heart will break with every waking pulse and every beat Just like the bugs I used to crush beneath my feet That was Bugs by the incredible Ren Steadman. You can follow Ren and find out more about his music and download some of his stuff, his art, at Ren Steadman Art on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. And that's it from me. I will see you soon in a 
about a couple of months time and I'll be back with series two. Please don't stray too far. Look after yourselves. Keep yourself safe and share this podcast with anyone who you think may enjoy it. Lots of love and thank you everyone for all your support so far. Big love.